No, I'm very thankful to be here, but I am uh, very dependent this morning as we have an opportunity, as I as a member, as we as members of this body have an opportunity to open God's word again. I think it's something that we can do as we're praying for our leaders, as we're looking for our leaders um, incoming, that this is just a good heart-to-heart conversation. And this may be applicational, but I think we need to pray about it, and I could use it. So will you please join me in prayer? So, hey, Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your faithfulness, for who you are. I thank you for Jesus Christ, and that we can come before you, and that he pleads on our behalf. And so, God, even as we open your word, we pray that we would find Jesus Christ. We pray that we would be faithful to this passage, and that we would apply it in a way that would transform this community. Be with my words, allow them to be clear and to be useful. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know when you actually become a Floridian. I've been here almost seven years now. I don't know if I'm there yet. I will say this. One thing that's pretty important is um, taking advantage of that Florida discount. And so last November, my family had the opportunity to go up to uh, Disney World, and we spent a, a few days with cheaper, not cheap, but cheaper tickets, and we had a great time. We found out pretty quickly what you do with a two-year-old and four-year-old at Walt Disney World. You, you do not do Space Mountain. You meet as many characters as you possibly can in as short of time as possible. And so that's what we did. I think we met as many princesses as we could. Vivian had an amazing time. There were certain characters that I found myself actually getting excited to meet, which is kind of weird, because at the end of the day, it's probably some college exchange student that's basically in a felt and plastic suit. But it's Donald Duck. I mean, come on. It's exciting. So some of them went better than others. We met Peter Pan. And Peter Pan just found us in the street, took Vivian by the hand, and just starts walking through the streets, and we ended up on the carousel together with Peter Pan. That's a pretty magical experience, right? Where else in the world would you want some guy in tights to take your child away and just walk down the street? Some, one of them did not go as well. We met Chip and Dale and the chipmunks, and as I was going to pull my phone out and take a picture... I heard an incredibly loud pop. And that's because Dale's nose is in roughly the shape of a ball. And my two-year-old thought, I should hit that as hard as humanly possible. (laughs) So hard that the people of the end of the line made a collective gasp. (gasps) And we quickly got our picture and moved on. Um, But these characters are kind of an amazing experience. When you're in line, you're just like, wow, there are 100 people in line to meet this character. These grown adults are lining up children saying, you want to meet this guy. You want to meet this girl. And it's fascinating. They're crowding in. They're waiting at times over an hour to meet a plastic Mickey Mouse, right? Well, if you've ever been in those lines, you know they're long, you know they're crowded, and you know they're full of Parents and grabbing children and taking them. Some children have no idea what's going on, but they're there, and this is exciting. Well, if you can imagine this, you can get some sense of what's happening in our passage this morning. It's a bad analogy. In fact, what's happening this morning is even more exciting. So if you would, please turn with me to Luke 18, 15 through 17. This is a very short passage we're going to read this morning. I hope that we can make some... Oh, good observations from it. What's happening is we have parents and adults lining up, crowding in around Jesus in the hope that their children and even their babies can meet this Jesus of Nazareth that they've heard about. Let's read it together. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Well, let's give a little context of what's happening in this passage. You can keep Luke uh, 18 open. 
To give context, Christ is traveling around the countryside. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's healing, and he's methodically working his way to Jerusalem. He's headed to Jerusalem to be crucified. He actually predicts it later in this chapter. He's at the height of his ministry period, and likely these crowds are large, and they are everywhere he goes. And the interest is growing as is the skepticism. The, the Pharisees are out to get him. People across Israel want to have a piece of him. They want to know him. They want to be with him. This passage is immediately between two more well-known passages. And it's easy to treat this passage, well, like a kid's story in between some meaty stuff, right? But I think it connects, and I hope that you see why before we're done. So, what do you do with a passage about children? Well, Bruce Case told me to keep it simple, stupid, so here it is. A, B, C, D. The A, B, C, Ds of understanding a passage about children coming to Jesus. A, let's first look at the children. A, the children are A, accompanying. So, who are the children? Well, we know very little. It says even infants. But these are probably children of all ages. They're probably younger in age. They literally are infants, meaning that they're still within one year of life. They're still being nursed. They're probably crying. They're probably sleeping. They're probably, well, frankly, what are they doing? They're doing whatever their parents tell them to do. They are along for the ride. Um, children go where you take them. So if you brought an infant this morning and they're in our nursery, if you don't go pick them up at the end of church, they're going to stay there. Please go pick them up at the end of church. I, my children are here this morning. My children love this place. Um, Ryle loves this lion that's hanging on the other side of this wall. Every time we walk by it, Lion, gets excited every time he sees it. Vivian loves the playground. She loves her friends. She loves seeing Miss Brenda. She loves seeing Pastor Buzz. She loves the toys, and she loves the Bible stories. But guess what? They didn't come on their own, and they wouldn't be here if it weren't for the fact that Clara and I want to be here. We think it's important to be here. We need to be here, and they're along for the ride. And that's really what the children are doing. It's just that simple. They do what their parents tell them. They are coming along. So A, the children are accompanying. B, what are the adults doing in this passage? And I say adults because these are parents and loved ones. Likely, mainly parents. But I say adults because I think some of the application for this is beyond parents this morning. What are they doing? Well, they're B. They're bringing their children to Jesus. So, again, note, um, we don't know if it's just parents, um, but we would imagine that it probably is uh, mainly parents, but there probably are a lot, whether it's an aunt and uncle, it's someone else, it's some loved one that says, I want my child to be blessed by Jesus. This is Jesus of Nazareth. So why are they bringing him to Christ? Well, frankly, it, kind of like what we talked about this morning, when I talked about meeting Donald Duck, there was an excitement around Jesus, right? There was this idea that he was the biggest thing happening in all of, all of Judea, all of Israel at this time. He was making a stir across the country. To give some concept, if you just flip through Luke as we're talking, what has he done up to this point? He's, well... He's healed lepers, lepers, not leopards, lepers in the last chapter. He's healed blind men. He's cast out demons. He has raised people from the dead. He has raised multiple people from the dead. He has fed the 5,000. Again, a kid's story, right? Read that more closely. He fed 5,000 men. We don't even know how many people were there. That's lots of fish, lots of bread but get a sense of the scene. We're talking thousands and thousands of people. 
that are following around countryside and hills so that they can see Jesus, hear Jesus, be with Jesus, find Jesus, talk to Jesus. It is a scene, but not just that. So now they hear him. His message is provocative, right? It's, remember, these people are used to hearing from church, or church leaders. They're used to hearing from synagogue leaders. They're used to hearing from leaders. They've heard of the prophets. They have some concept of this, but this is totally different. In this passage and in Luke throughout and throughout the Gospels, he speaks with the authority of God. He's been doing that since the beginning of his ministry. He's challenging the same spiritual leaders that they've grown up hearing. He's talking about the arrival of his kingdom. And even before he came, there was this even stranger guy named John the Baptist that was declaring that the kingdom was coming. He's eating locusts. He's wearing like... Uh, skin and uh, animal skin and he's saying the kingdom of God is at hand and this is it and Christ is saying it is here and that is provocative that is something that's that's noteworthy so obviously even if they didn't have a concept this is the biggest thing probably happening in in the area at the time you got to see it Bigger than Forthon, Flagler, anything else. The crowds are just massive. But I would argue here as we look that many came because they believed. They brought their kids because maybe they didn't understand exactly what they were believing, but they at least believed he was a great teacher, that he was a rabbi. That, well, maybe he says he's going to be a king. And, and maybe he's right. And, and I want to see this. And, and I want to believe him. And I, I want to be part of his kingdom. And, and uh, you know what? This is exciting me. So I want to take my kids with me. It's way better than Disney World. I want them to meet this future king. I want them to have some concept that they met this leader that was larger than life, saying things that were beyond what they could even understand at the time. So they believed, but they obviously came for B again, a blessing, right? So what are we talking about here? What is this blessing? There are 39 times in the gospel that people or groups of people are blessed. Likely to kind of get an example of it, if you flip back to Genesis 48, you can get a sense of what type of blessing this is. Obviously, we don't know entirely. We just know that they came to get a blessing. But in Genesis 48, we actually have Joseph bringing his two boys before Israel, before, before Jacob. And he brings them for the blessing because Jacob's about to die. And he wants his children to be blessed by his father. And so it doesn't go as Joseph hopes it goes because the younger gets the, ble- the larger blessing. They're both blessed. They both receive a blessing, which is what dad's after but the blessing's slightly different than they expect. And it says in verse, it actually says in verse 14, but Israel reached out his hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was younger and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, may the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from the ha- all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And may they increase greatly on this earth. Those would be amazing words. Even if Pastor Buzz said, you know, may these children be blessed. We do that here, right? We do baby dedication. We want blessing. We ultimately want them to come to know the Lord, but we want them to be blessed. That's a good sentiment. It's a good thing. Imagine even more if this is coming from Jesus of Nazareth and maybe, just maybe, he's the chosen Messiah. What an amazing opportunity to bring your kids, right? Well, maybe you're visiting this morning. Maybe you're a relative. Maybe you're an aunt and uncle and you have your kids here in our nursery or in our children's Disciple Town this morning. Well, I welcome. We're glad you're here. 
We, we're, we want you to be here. We want you to feel that this is a place of blessing for your children and for yourself. First, we want to keep your children safe. We hope they enjoy themselves while they're here. And we hope they learn about God while they're here. While you're here, we hope the same for you. We believe that blessing is found in trusting Jesus Christ and his death as a perfect substitute for our sins. My sin, your sin, our children's sin. In his death and resurrection, he turned what we should actually have as a curse or a woe. And he's turned that into blessing that is his, that is given to us. And now these blessings that belong to Jesus are found for us in Jesus Christ. And those are ours. And they will be even more so when we spend eternity with Christ in heaven. And we would love to talk to you more about that. So if you're visiting and want to know more, I would be happy to talk to you. I know we have many church leaders, but we're so glad you're here and we're so glad your children are here. There is a blessing. So we see that the adults are bringing their children, B, but what are the disciples doing? Well, the disciples are C. The disciples are confronting and chiding them. So who are these people? Well, we say disciples, we probably think of the 12, right? We probably think of the apostles. Maybe, maybe, likely it involved the 12 apostles. Uh, it may be others. 72 could be just other followers that have committed their entire life. They've forsaken everything else. It's kind of alluded to later in this passage. Peter, Peter talks about that. He's, they've forsaken all things and they're following Christ. And that's what they're doing. And they're following him around because these are the people that really believe it, right? These are the people that are saying, I think he's the, he's the chosen one. I think he's the Messiah. I think he's the son of God. And obviously, we see all throughout Luke, all throughout the Gospels, they're struggling, right? They're struggling, even though they've forsaken everything, they're struggling to really know what that means, to really fully believe it and understand it. So what are they doing in this passage? Well, they're kind of living up to that. They are rebuking these people. They're actually trying to make them feel foolish. It's actually active too, right? So if you understand the context of the language of this passage, it's not that they brought children. It's that they're bringing children. And so imagine, boy, they're, just, they're coming in waves. And they're bringing a child. And they say, please, Lord, bless my son. Bless my, my nephew. Bless my friend's son or my friend's daughter. And Christ is there accepting them. And actively at the same time, these disciples are chiding them. They're saying, what are you doing? So what, why are they confronting? Why are these disciples who are the closest to Jesus, they've heard the most teaching from Jesus, why are they getting in the way at this point? Well, it's also unknown but understandable. I kind of mentioned he's, He's been with crowds everywhere, right? He's been tired. There have actually been times where Jesus escaped the crowds. He needed to get away. He needed to be sustained. I would imagine if I'm some disciple that's trying to understand Christ, I would try to think ahead. I would try to problem solve, and I would try to say, like, well, how can I help him? Well, oh, we've we got to get him more space, He's just spent time arguing with the Pharisees. He's just spent time arguing with the Sadducees. He just spoke to 5,000 people. He needs some space. This is, this is not important, right? This, this is beneath him, maybe. This is a photo op. Um, I can understand it. When I was younger, my first job out of college, I worked in the United States Senate, and I worked for a senator from Ohio. I was nobody. I was flying flags over the Capitol and answering the phone for him to give context to the story. But I um, did have opportunities many times that people from Ohio would come and they would want to meet this great man, right? He was a 
mayor of Cleveland. He was a governor of Ohio, and then he became a senator. And we had codes in our office. We had codes that if um, there was an emergency and we couldn't hit a panic button, that we were supposed to pick up the phone, dial the Capitol Police, and say, the books are ready in Heart 317. And the Capitol Police would, like, descend on the place. I never got to do that, by the way. I always thought that would be very fascinating, which is foolish. Um, There was also a code that if the senator got pressed in by people, and there were babies to kiss, and there were photo ops, that we found a way to get him out of there. Because, frankly, what do you want a U.S. senator doing? Taking pictures with children all day? Or passing laws that help people? Meeting with really important, you know, constituents, what have you. Well, he's a politician. He's going to take the pictures. So we as staff members would say, uh, you talk to the other staff member, not to the senator. You'd say the other staff members say, hey, um, can you let the senator know that we need to make sure he gets to his caucus meeting? Now, was there a caucus meeting? Yeah, in about two weeks. But it was a way without embarrassing anyone, that we could get a senator out of a place where he was needing to get to somewhere more important. Well, I imagine that's kind of what's happening here, that they don't think what's happening is very important. I love what Warren Wiersbe says here. He says, it was customary for the Jews to bring little children to the rabbis and to receive this special blessing. So it's strange the disciples would stand in the way. However, this was not the first time the disciples had attempted to get rid of people. They wanted to send the crowds away hungry, but Jesus fed them. They tried to stop the Canaanite woman from asking Jesus to heal her daughter, but Jesus answered her prayer. The twelve did not yet have the compassion of their master, but it would come in due time. So here we have the closest to Christ, making these adults that brought little ones to Jesus to feel stupid, Or to feel foolish for bothering him, basically. So, see, the disciples confronted and chided. But, this did not escape the notice of Jesus. So, D, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is D, discipling his followers and ultimately dying for his kingdom. So who is he? Who is Jesus? Well, he's the incarnate son of God come to earth to reveal God and to provide restored relationship to him by dying in the place of sinners. And that is resolutely what he's doing. He is marching methodically to Jerusalem. He is on his way. Nothing is going to stop him. And along the way, he's teaching about his kingdom. So what is he doing? He's discipling. That's a word we've been talking about for months now in this church, right? I'm actually going to quote Matt Rogers, if that's okay, this morning. Chapter 1. That's a book we've been reading as a church, if you're visiting. Um, We've been doing it in our Sunday school classes. Uh, But the author defines discipleship as the process of growing in your understanding of God, your love for God, in obedience to God through intentional relationships with Christians. Well, this is even a little bit more than that. <laughs> In this case, it was Christ. It was Christ who had some very intentional words for his disciples. But also, this is an earshot of these adults bringing these children. And this is an earshot of these children. That they're getting to hear this. He says... Suffer the little children to come to me. Let them come. Don't hinder them. Let them come. This is important to me. You need to understand this. He's trying to help his disciples better understand God. He's showing them what God loves so that they can learn to love it too. And he's basically commanding them to obey him. It actually, in the, other pa- in the other passages, I mentioned this is, is a story that's told in three of the four Gospels. I believe it's in Matthew that he actually says he became indignant. He was angry. And he said, let these children come to me. 
So how was he discipling? Well, first he welcomed children. I want to get to that when we make some application. But first he's welcoming children. Number two, he reframed what was important. Remember, they're, they're protecting him. They think he's, they know he's an important preacher. They know he is a rabbi. They believe he is the son of God. They're learning to believe he is the son of God. And they're protecting him and they're saying, we know what's important. And he is debunking that. He is laying that low. He's becoming angry that they would think something that they know better what's important than their savior. So what is important? Well, children are important to God. That's a first, a first just thought. We see that throughout Scripture. Children are important to God. They weren't important in, in uh, this time in Israel. The culture itself didn't find them important. But in God's word, we see they're important. In Psalm 8, it actually says, out of the mouths of babes and infants, I have ordained praise. And Psalm 8's amazing. He's talking about this majesty of God who's created this earth and he's giving perspective on how man is properly understood in the context of how great and how awesome God is. And he actually is talking about this creative, amazing power. And the next verse, he goes, out of the mouths of babes and infants, I have ordained praise. Because it's these babes and infants that bring a special glory to God. It's hard with children to not get emotional, excuse me. We also see in Psalm 127 that children are a heritage from the Lord, that offspring are a reward, and that it's a blessing to have children. And I know that saying this morning that there may be people in this room that were never able to have children. They wanted them and maybe they couldn't have them. Or maybe they, you were never married or maybe God and his sovereignty plans just went differently. Well, I can tell you that again, out of encouragement of this passage, it does not say parents. And that there are opportunities, whether you're an aunt or an uncle or just a member of this church, that you can bring children to Jesus. You can... Be encouraged by that. So we see it in the past. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the present. Three of the four Gospels tell this story. If you flip over to Matthew 18, there's another story that says that he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom. And whoever welcomes one such as this child in my name welcomes me. Well, if you flip forward a few passages, he's about to walk into Jerusalem. And you'll see that the triumphal entry, when they're shouting Hosanna, it's actually little children. It's children that are waving these palm branches. And they have this place of bringing praise to Christ. It's actually the fulfillment of out of the mouths of babes and infants I have ordained praise. It's happening at this time. And we ultimately see in the future, I love what Zechariah 8 says. Zechariah 8, 5 is talking about they renewed Jerusalem. It's talking basically about heaven. And it says that the streets will be filled with boys and girls playing. Encouraging thought this morning. So we see that children are important to God. We see also that these children were key to Christ teaching his disciples about the nature and economy of his kingdom. He not only taught his disciples, but he actually secured this kingdom. He secured it by dying for these disciples. He secured it by dying for these adults. He secured it by dying for these children, and he secured it by dying for us. And again, as I said it before, that's the true blessing, right? There was a blessing. I'm sure he put his hand on each child that came to him. But the true blessing is taking what is a curse for us and turning it into a blessing that we can enjoy all the promises of God. That every yes to God is found in Jesus Christ. As I mentioned, he predicted it later in this passage. 
So we did A, B, C, D. Well, now I want to work backwards in application if I can. Keeping it simple again. This passage is about his kingdom. And honestly, it's about more than kids. I know a lot of what we talked about is about children. But I think there are applications for each of us. If you don't have children, if, if you don't even like children, there's amazing applications this morning. But some, I actually think, are appropriate for us to think this morning about children. So I hope that you will walk with me in this. But let's work backwards. Christ de-discipled and died. So this morning, just to ask you a question. How does Christ's teaching and death affect your view of others? Especially children. Do you see them as a blessing in your life? Again, I'm not talking about just your children. Parents, obviously, think about that. But children in your midst, children whom you have contact with, do you view that as a blessing? When Vivian ruined the first shirt I was wearing this morning, I questioned that at that moment. But that is a good question. Do you view them as a blessing? Secondly, do you see them as having proper worth and significance in how God has shaped them? And do you believe you can learn from them? It's amazing talking to children what you can learn. And this is not a TV show about what children say. We can learn spiritual things from having conversations with our children. Number three. If you read behind me, do you see them as those who need ambassadors? How are you helping the children in your midst be reconciled to God? Have you had a gospel conversation this week that a child could learn from? I hope that we do. I love this idea of ambassadors. We need to have gospel conversations all over Boynton Beach. We need to have gospel conversations all over Palm Beach County. We need to be very, very, very strategic at our places of work, with our loved ones, with people we meet on the street. But I had Brenda run the numbers for me, and do you know that there are roughly 118 children that are about 400 yards that way? And they need ambassadors. C. The disciples confronted and chided, but should have cared and shown compassion. I asked myself this week as I was studying, why do I fail to show the compassion of Christ and at times actually hinder people especially children, from having an opportunity to be brought to him? Well, I think there's a few lies we believe. Number one, I think we believe lies about them. We can hinder children, we can hinder anyone from being brought to Jesus by believing lies about them. Number one, they won't understand This is too difficult of a conversation for me to weave in Jesus. This is too difficult for them to understand what (laughs) any passage, I was the transfiguration, go. What it means that he rose from the dead three days later, go. I can tell you as an adult and a dad of a four-year-old, the question why comes up more than I can care. And I sit there going after about the fifth time, well, I can't explain that. I, I'm, I almost have a PhD. And I sit there with confusion because I'm thinking, there's no way Vivian's going to understand this concept. And that's a lie when it comes to thinking about Christ. We can plant that seed. Number two, I will have time to teach them later. We don't know. We don't know how long we have with our children. We don't know how long they have with us. We don't know, even if they're not your children, 
If you have a conversation with a child in this church, it may be the only conversation you have with them. You take that opportunity. Number three, it will detract from more significant adult conversations. I can tell you, I firmly believe the most important thing happening in this church is what happens right here. I think it is the heartbeat of this church. I hope that doesn't change when we get a new pastor. I hope it only grows. What we do in our worship, in our singing, in our praying, in this preaching is the most important thing. But I can tell you that it can complement what's happening with our children and should complement what's happening with our children. And they can have some understanding of what's happening in this room. So we believe it will detract from more significant adult conversations. We also believe lies about us. It will embarrass me in this moment to talk about Jesus. I'm sitting at a restaurant and my daughter asks me a question and the waitress is there. I'm too tired for this right now. I just got home from work. Not really a good time. Or I have more important things to do. Those, those are ways we believe lies. We also believe lies about God. What we're really doing when we hinder them is that we discount God. We discount the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ when we hinder them. I love a quote. I mentioned it before by Jerry Bridges. It says that on our best days, we're not beyond the need of God's grace. And on our worst days, we're not beyond the reach of God's grace. That is true, not just for me as an adult, but that's true for our children. On their best days, when they're the most obedient, when they're the most amazing, when they got the gold star, they're not beyond the need of understanding the grace of Jesus Christ. And when they are struggling, when you are so frustrated, when you are finding them difficult... In those moments, they're not beyond the reach of Jesus Christ. And we should start those conversations early. We should plant those seeds. We should care deeply about what happens as parents, but what happens with our two-year-olds in that room over there. But our three-year-olds. So we discount the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We discount their ability to understand the things of God. A child cannot assess their own spiritual need, and they need help. But isn't that kind of the amazing thing about parenting? Isn't that the convicting thing about being a parent? Isn't that the convicting thing about being an aunt and uncle? Is that they see things about God in me. That they don't understand God who they can't see, but they understand who daddy is. And... They understand what it means that I care for them. And they understand what it means that I discipline them. And they understand that they, what it means that I'm in control of them. And that in understanding me as daddy, that they're going to get some sense as they walk through life that that's how they're going to understand God. That's amazing. Like that's how they understand the, the church too. They understand how I treat mommy. Like, we're given these amazing things. I'm giving these children, and this is reality. This is real, but in a better sense, it's actually all just a picture of a greater reality. And that's that we get to teach them and show them who God is. And we believe lies that we discount their ability to understand the things of God. I hope that we show the character of God to our children. Number three, we discount the power of the Holy Spirit. We discount that he could be at work in a young child's life. I grew up in Reformed churches. I am thankful that we take seriously what it means to know Christ. But I can tell you, having grown up in Reformed churches, that it is easy to discount what's happening in a young child's heart. In reality, it should be the opposite. If we really believe God's sovereign, if we really believe that he's in total control of saving me, saving you, saving little children, and that this happens 
first by the Holy Spirit starting to prick their heart and to work in them, then why in the world would we not be set free, right? It's not how well I tell my children about the gospel. It's not how good of a program we have next door. It's that we believe that the Holy Spirit's going to work and he's going to save lives and that he's doing that now and that the seed takes root. And so we can start at a young age. We can start methodically just sharing and telling and showing how good it is to know Jesus Christ. Let's not discount the Holy Spirit. Note, as it relates to children, this can happen at home, but this can happen at our church. We all have a responsibility to bring children to Jesus Christ. Our church covenant, which I love, I love to go back to it. I know it may be weird, but I love to go back to it. It actually says, we will endeavor to bring up such as may at any time be under our care. Anytime, anyone who may be under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and by a pure and loving example to seek the salvation of our family and our friends. We will rejoice at each other's happiness, endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrow. We have a responsibility of what's happening next door this morning. Church kids programs cannot excuse us of this responsibility. There's a great sign that says Disciple Town. Julian's doing a great job building a new room. It's awesome. We need to be committed to it. We need to put our money into it. We need to put our time into it. We need volunteers next door. There are not enough people from one-year-old all the way up to Disciple Town. And we need more. It's a great, great thing to think about. And I can say that because I'm not even a pastor here. I'm just a member. But I say that in this way. That program is not an excuse. It does not dismiss us from needing to be completely bought into caring for the spiritual lives of the children in this body and the children of Boynton Beach. So it needs to go beyond. And secondly, Jose does not bear this responsibility alone. I didn't know you'd be here, so hi. But... He does not bear this responsibility alone, nor do the nursery workers, the disciple town teachers. It's all of us. We've committed to it. We've covenanted to it. So we can actually hinder children from seeing Jesus. We can hinder children from coming to Jesus. But let's be more like the adults, the the parents, the loved ones that brought children to Jesus. And ultimately, I say this, the children were brought for a blessing, but I actually think it's the parents who received the blessing here. I love how to even go back to Genesis uh, 48, what I read earlier. It says that he blessed Joseph in that process. That there's a blessing to be found by bringing children to Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, I'm running out of time, so three things. I think we do that by making much of Jesus' father. We make much of his father. Do we show the true awesome nature of God in this place, in our lives, when we're talking to people? Do we show his attributes? We sang about him this morning. We didn't have words. And we still could sing about him. We sing about his creativity. We sing about his power. We sing about his sovereignty. His justice, his love. Those are things our kids need to hear. They need to hear how big of a God we have. It's things that they can't understand. My children think I'm big. How much greater is God? Now, these things should be bigger than us, right? These are not easy to understand things. One of my favorite books is Knowledge of the Holy by um, Tozer. Recommend it highly. Each chapter is about three pages. It takes me about an hour <laughs> to, to read about the omnipotence of God and to get my head around that. And I think that's actually a good thing. I think that's a good thing for our children to see in its complexity. Try to explain justice and love to your children 
as it relates to God. It's hard. It should be hard because it's beyond me and they need to see that it's beyond me. They need to see that anytime I try to be just or to be loving, I actually have to put one above the other. But God doesn't have to do any of that. He's completely just, completely loving all the time and in every way. And that is so unlike me. If we show something less, if we only say God's your friend, we only say Jesus can be your friend, then I think we're putting God in a, a simple box or maybe we go the other way. God wants you to do this. God wants you to do that. Here are some rules. Live by the Ten Commandments. Those are good. The laws of God are good. We should adhere to them. But if all we've done is created ten simple rules for our kids to follow, then I think we kind of do things that we show that we kind of deny our need for them. Well, here's, these are simple, do them. We strip God of his power, and frankly, our children see through it. I say that because I inherit a lot of children that grew up in churches. For my job, I'm the dean of students at a Christian university in West Palm Beach. And I get a lot of church kids that have frankly only been shown a small God. And there are books and books and books, and I have pages and pages and pages of my dissertation that can tell you why young people are walking away from their faith. And they have lots of theories, but I have a simple theory. They were never shown a great God and their need of a Savior. A dime-sized Jesus will not be able to solve quarter-sized problems. So we must show them and make much of his father. Number two, we must show him as savior. We need forgiveness of our sins. This can only be found in Jesus. If we show this great God and how awesome and how powerful he is and how we're accountable to him, that's an important understanding that will ultimately lead to an understanding of who we are. So we'll start talking about, well, who am I? And And how do I relate to this great God that's powerful and awesome that we worship? Well, I relate to him as one who doesn't deserve him, as one who needs him, as one who had to have him not only disciple, but to ultimately walk to Jerusalem and to die in my place. And our children need to understand that. We model this to others, not this children, but we all, specifically children, So just a few questions. How often do you ask for forgiveness of other people? How often do you ask for forgiveness of your children? It is one of the hardest things to do. Whether it's Uncle Bob or Daddy. Vivian, I need to apologize because I had a bad attitude. Will you forgive me? I don't want to take the time. She won't understand. She, I'm her daddy. I'm supposed to be in charge. We show a small God when we do that. But we can show a greater God by showing ourselves as being sinful and needing of the Savior. Do you ask your children for forgiveness? Do you describe and confront your own sin to them and not just your sin? They see what's happening in the world. They don't have an understanding of what a 7.1 earthquake is in California. But they can see that it destroys lives, that it may have killed people. And what's death? My, my daughter connects death to disobedience, and I, I love that, that we have all disobeyed and it ultimately leads to death. That she can understand. She may not understand this, but I can connect my sin and I can connect the sins of the world to the need of a Savior. So we need to show Jesus as Savior, and then third and finally, we need to introduce him, introduce his bride. When I first moved to Florida, I was here for 33 days by myself. You may have met me. I sat right over there. Clara was not here. Not many people really understood me for those 33 days. Why? Because she's way more friendly and better than I am. And you're laughing because you know it's true. And she reveals the best things about me. Well, that is 100% true. 
of Christ, which is crazy because we're the sinful, really inadequate local representation of this bride, right? But like out of the the mouths of babes and infants, he has ordained praise. Out of this local body, out of all of the body, which is the bride of Christ, he receives his most glory. So do we show our love for this church? Do we care about our worship even when we don't have the words? It's amazing what I heard this morning. We were singing loud. I loved it. I love the fact that we are worshiping. Do we care about this body and fellowship? Do we care and pray for Tilly this morning? Do we care about its ministry? Do we pray? Do we take Sunday seriously? Do our children know Sunday is something that we care about and get excited about? Specifically for First Pointing, do our children know that we are word-saturated, joyfully reforming, to change that, and a transformative community? Those are big words, but children can understand what they mean. And they should be taught just as well next door as they're taught in this room. Do we believe that the most important thing we can do is be in this book? That we can understand it, that it's authoritative, that it's inerrant, and that it holds the promises of God that are ours. And they're ours, so word saturated, they're ours Because God worked in our heart to change us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That I am now, because of the Holy Spirit working in me, because of what Christ has done for me on the cross, all of him, not of me, I can understand and have relationship with God. And then that ultimately transforms me, but doesn't just transform me personally, it transforms me in community, a community that will affect our children, will affect this greater community of Boynton Beach, that this is something that we have to come back to and back to and back to. I'm thankful for this church. I just want to say this. I love what's happening over there. I love the faithful ministry of Awana. I love the faithful ministry of those who serve in our nursery, those who serve in our disciple town. I just want to make sure that we don't miss out on ambassador opportunities. I want us to make sure that we are helping each other, that it's a responsibility we take seriously. It's beyond our programs. It has to be in our hearts. So DCB, that there was a blessing for the parents as they were bringing their children. A, children accompanied, but were ultimately acknowledged by Christ for the attributes that are required for acceptance into his kingdom. So what are those attributes that these children had that Christ actually stopped what was happening and said, disciples, let them come to me. Let me bless them. What are these attributes that he wanted to pass on to every disciple? Pretty simple. This isn't just that they're lowly, that they're not important in that other part of the world at that time. I think it's more than that. It's that they were completely dependent. The word infant, right? The word, oh, I mentioned that you might have an infant in the nursery. They go where you take them. They can't even hold their heads up for like three months. They are completely dependent on you. Number two, maybe they're older. Again, they're not just infants. It says even infants in this passage. That the kids that are coming and they're old enough to walk or old enough to be carried are completely trusting that they're coming in their parents' merit. They're coming on their parents' behalf. They're like... Mommy says, this is Jesus of Nazareth, and this is going to be amazing. Daddy says, this is this great rabbi. Let's go hear him. And they're coming completely because they are completely trusting. And that's what we need to be this morning. MacArthur says, no one better illustrates the reality that only the lowly have achieved nothing of merit and enter the kingdom than infants. No one has achieved less morally or religiously than them. No one has less knowledge of, or the obedience to the law or less devotion to God. Thus, infants perfectly illustrate the principle that God saves sinners apart from their achievements. While the proud and self-righteous are excluded from the kingdom, infants and those who approach the kingdom like infants are included. To be converted requires people to be like children. A little child is simple. Dependent, helpless, unaffected, unpretentious, unambitious. Children are not sinless or naturally unselfish. 
And they display their fallen nature from the earliest of age, but they are nevertheless naive, unassuming, trusting of others, and without ambition for grandeur or greatness. How do we cultivate this? How do we show this dependence? How do I show this trust? Well, it's really simple. I've talked about it already this morning, it's, but it's so needed to do every day of my life. It is the gospel. I need to know that there is a holy God that created me of whom I have accountability to. I need to know that I have sinned against him. I continue to sin against him. I sin in my dad's sins. I sin in Adam's sins. I sin today. And I need to know that I have significance in being created in his image, but I have accountability in being an enemy of his that is only solved by Christ dying on the cross for my sin. And that I need today. And that changes everything. That should bring joy, that should bring peace, that should bring a motivation to care for this community and to care for our children. And it is not something that I just made a decision once. It is not something that I just told this story when I was baptized once. It is something that I need to have in my life every day. I tell you that because I forget it quickly and I do it imperfectly. But I need to preach the gospel to myself every day. I hope that's true of each of us. That's how we show that we're like a little child. I am completely dependent on Jesus and I am completely trusting Jesus. Well, in conclusion, I said this before, but what's my motivation for preaching this mainly applicational sermon? Well, number one, I inherited, I inherit these children. <laughs> they grow into 18 year olds who become my problem. And I want to show a greater God to them. And I want them to know a sweet and real Savior. But my children also need to be taken to Jesus. They need to have opportunity to meet Jesus. And I can tell you that I hope that my wife and I are faithful to that. But I love that they get so excited to come here. And that there are other faithful people that are sharing Jesus to them and are sharing this gospel to them. And I hope that it permeates not just our programs, not just our leadership as we welcome Jose and we welcome a new pastor, but it permeates each of us that we actually are that transformative community. We need to come to Jesus also in our own lives as little children. I need to learn from children. We need to trust him. We need to depend upon him in our lives for our salvation, for our future eternity with him. It needs to affect our living, our decisions, and shape this church, I hope. We need to bring the children in our midst constantly to the same feet of Jesus so they too can see their need, their significance in this kingdom, forgiveness in his cross, and the same hope for their eternity. Well, I hope that this is the hope for each of us. It is the hope that we have in Jesus. If we know this gospel, then it's not just that we will be able to know this today in this imperfect community, but that we have a greater hope for a coming community where all things will be made right. There's a happy ending. This is better than Walt Disney World. And it's coming and it's real. And guess what's happening there? There are little boys and little girls playing in the streets. <laughs> and that's what I want our hope for to be today. So I thought of no better way than to close this time together than to read from a kid's story. This is one of my favorites. This is called The Biggest Story by Kevin DeYoung. And it says, The Biggest Story, How the Snake Crusher Brings Us Back to the Garden. And in the last chapter, if you'll permit me, remember this is a kid's book. It says, The Snake Crusher is Coming Back Again to wipe away all the bad guys and to wipe away every tear. He's coming to make a new beginning and to finish what he started. He's coming to give us the home we once had and might have forgotten that we lost. So keep waiting for him. Keep believing in him. Keep trusting that the story isn't over yet. God's promises never fail and the promised one never disappoints. One day... We'll see him. One day we'll be with him. 
One day there will be nothing but the best days, day after day after day after day. And forever and ever, it will be a wonderful time to be God's children in God's wonderful world. Let's pray for our children with that hope this morning. Please join me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for Jesus Christ and that that is how we can understand your word and know you. I pray that each of us would have that dependence as a child this morning. I pray that we would pass that on as ambassadors to those we meet and especially our children. May you be glorified and may we hope for eternity with you. In Christ's name, amen.